John, I am super excited today uh, to bring to us a special guest. Uh, you and I had talked about bringing on some you of... finally got Elon Musk on the phone. No, not Elon ah. Musk. Not Elon Musk. I think we got somebody even better here, actually. Uh, I had mentioned to you that I wanted to bring on a couple of the UA participants um, from Ultimate Adventure. And as you know, we've been promising our listeners for at least 30 episodes now that we were going to try to do research on the Z71 and that we did research on the Z71. And it's time to tell our listeners about what we did. However, full page of notes right here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I see your full blank page there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that this is the perfect episode to bring Mr. Chevy truck guy um, and, and undisputable, probably the number one that Chevy truck name. Pretty much, cool. uh, the the number one Chevy aftermarket uh, truck guy for the off road industry, at least in my opinion, and in many people's, Mr. Stephen Watson of Off Road Design. Oh, wait, I thought you said it was Chevy guy. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> so, Mr. Stephen Watson of Off Road Design. I would. Uh, you want to talk to him today? I suppose we can. Yeah. All right, let's do that. <laughs> It's time to hit the trail, lock in those hubs, and throw it into low range. Because you are listening to Wheel It with Keith and Johnny Orange. Broadcasting from the Thin Line Off-Road Studio, they're here to talk about 4x4s, trucks, and everything to do with enjoying the great outdoors. Buckle up, here's your hosts, Keith and Johnny Orange. All right, Stephen, do we have you on the phone, sir? Yeah, here I am. Happy to be here. Awesome. So, uh, starting starting out here, did you get back from UA? Um, you know, successful? To, no, no. You know, trailer issues, nothing. Were you able to get home uh, safe and sound? No flat tires. No drama. We uh, well, we and I. I kind of coined this phrase after this. I did a Moab trip last weekend and uh, took that same '99 Chevy that we had on the UA trip, and I I've started calling it the easy button <laughs> because we. We get in the truck and drive where you want to go four wheeling, and you go four wheeling, and air up the tires and drive home. I love it. And you know, there's tow rigs have like a dozen tires involved, minimum, and you know all the bearings, all the stuff. You know, and it's so easy just to get in the truck and drive it where you want to go and wheel it and come home. It's it's really pretty refreshing doing it that way. And so far, we haven't had to rescue a trail truck from somewhere yeah had to rescue a tow rig so <laughs> we've had some trail rigs that drove several thousand miles home that weren't supposed to but Ooh. uh but it's worked out well so yeah in this case we woke up in south dakota and uh you know loaded up in the truck and drove home and that's really all there was to it did you trailer awesome. your chevy or did you um or did you drive it all the way so that truck has been on a trailer twice and it's time that we've had it we uh the very first ultimate adventure that we took that truck on was 2011 and it the build went really smooth as far as even our all of our ua builds go um you know there's a lot of bolt-on stuff on the truck it was reasonably straightforward to get it put together and uh we got ready to leave on the trip and it's like you know we We've not wheeled it. We've not used it. We didn't trust it. Um, so we went ahead and towed it to, uh, oh, geez, we started in Missouri and ended in Oklahoma. So we, we towed it to Missouri. I uh, had a buddy take it toward near the end point in Oklahoma, and then we towed it home. But as we were driving after the trip, as we were driving the truck back to get the trailer, you know, and loaded up, you know, we're sitting there, it was my brother and I. We look at each other. It's like, why are we getting a tow rig? This is totally fine. You know, we should just drive this home, and uh, and that was the last time that that truck went on a trailer. Which so UA was that? Got, that was in 2011. Okay, so is it been on every UA since 2011? No, it's done. We did 11 and 12, and then the convertible wasn't ready for 14. So we took it on 14, and then we drove it to Alaska last year because, once again, it was kind of the 
the easy button out of our, we wanted some, well, we needed that truck. It needed to be simple, reliable, proven, tested, easy to deal with. And, and we, we owned the truck there. We didn't want to try to build that out of something. We just hit the easy button and took, well, like it's something we try to relate to with normal people is, you know, the magazines are building a new rig every year and normal guys can't do that. We, we can't do that. And in the last year's trip and even this year's trip were great examples. We needed a rig that we had, you know, we'd built, was tried, tested. We've got 50,000 miles on that vehicle as a built four wheel drive. Oh, wow. And, you know, so we, we did what normal people are going to do and did a prep job on the truck that we had and used it. Well, you know, I've seen that truck in person and, you know, just not blowing smoke up here or anything like that. I think it's probably the coolest classic body style Chevy truck I have ever seen in my entire life. I love that thing to death. Uh, as you know, I've seen it all over the place. I've seen it in action. John's never seen it in action except maybe a video or two or a picture here and there. I've probably seen it. If you're on the UA trips, I used to get Peterson's back then, so I probably saw it or read about it, I'm sure. But for our listeners and for John here, um, give us a rundown of what you took on UA this year. Yeah, so the, well, like, like I mentioned before, the, the truck was kind of a bolt-on project for us. We, it's a 99-2500, uh, it's actually a GMC truck, and it was uh, actually a ski area truck at Snowmass Ski Area up here, and we have a friend that bought a whole batch of trucks at an auction from the ski area, and the, the neat thing about it is the key fobs, you know, we course being a kind of an institution they had multiple extra keys so we got you know four sets of keys and they all have these brass rings on them and it has the truck number it's six eight eight nine and then it says trails on it cool it's like so it was a trail truck from the beginning that's cool and yeah that that part's pretty neat but it's a, a single cab was a long bed truck uh came with a four the vortex 454 and an nv 4500 and, of course, had the, the full float 14 bolt in it. And we got it with about 60, 60 to 65,000 miles on it. So it was reasonably fresh. And you could tell it had been a trail truck because the it had some sort of lumber rack on the bed, and the bed was beat. <laughs> and, you know, it, you could tell it had lots of time in it for such a low number of miles. But, you know, it's what we were looking for because we were taking the bed off and messing with everything. So we... uh we put our bolted our solid axle swap kit in it with a set of our custom front springs. At the time, we didn't have our Magnum going. Uh, we put our 203 doubler kit in it. And I mean, that was kind of the extent of the major replacement parts. You know, it's kept the factory engine, factory transmission. Um, like I say, put in our doubler kit. Uh, ended up using a, uh, a 99 Ford Dana 60 or not 99, a 79 Ford Dana 60 in the front, the, uh, left-hand high pinion. Um, it's got the narrower spring perches, so it works out real well for tire clearance. And then, um, you know, like you say, our custom springs and a set of two and a half inch shocks, uh, King shocks on it. And then, the for the rear, we shortened the frame up to short bed dimensions. So we took, I think it was about 14 inches out of the frame and the the rear suspension is like stock. You know, spring mm-hmm. hangers are still riveted onto the frame. Um, it the frame was shortened ahead of that, so the the rear end thinks it's a twenty five hundred. It's just closer to the front. And we uh, we've got a set of our custom springs and two and a half inch shocks on that with some traction bars, and then uh, air lockers in both ends, so everything's controllable. And that's one of the secrets is making a full-size truck work off-road and be able to keep up with smaller rigs. One of the tricks is that you have to do all the tricks. <laughs> so, you know, we, with this truck, we've got good low gearing. You know, it used to be that a fuel injected engine was important, you know, and that's, it's still a thing to got reasonable power runs good, always runs um, with the, you know, I bring up the air locker in the back these things turn really well if you can unlock the rear end. <laughs> so that's something that seems like our trucks always turn extra sharp, 
well, it's, you know, we've learned through some of the comp stuff that we've done and racing hammer stuff that we've done that if the front end is locked up and the rear end is open, which is kind of opposite of the way a lot of people play it, the trucks turn really well. And, you know, we've got a, a lock off, you know, brake block switch we actually use as a parking brake. It's a, just a ball valve in the rear brake line. So we nice. can lock the rear brakes and use it to swing it around and extra maneuverability. So anyway, um, and plus the air lockers, this is a truck. It's been a daily driver through a couple of winters here and gets driven regularly through those winters. And I, I guess a good example with this, we put new batteries in this truck. Uh, I think it was this summer, you know, last winter, somewhere in there in, in, in 2020, we had to put new batteries in the truck. Those batteries we'd put in, in 2011 and they're, you know, they're not that it matters. They were Optima yellow tops, but normally we, we slay batteries around our place because, you know, the trucks, you know, you wheel a truck and then it ends up sitting for, you know, month, six weeks before we go around and mess with everything again. And, and that's the cool thing with this truck is we use it enough to where, I mean, we haven't even had problems with the batteries in it. Cool. And so the, the air lockers are nice for driving on the street. I mean, you guys deal with snow and ice. You know the deal. It's, oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and you're running, it, what size nice tires are you running on that? So those are 40s. We've had 40s on it most of its entire life. They're the 40-inch the Nitto trail grapplers is what we're running now. Nice. And you know, we've run the 40-inch Goodyear for a while. Um, we've actually run a, a couple sets of 37s on it for for a couple of trips. Um, there's one, one trip that we only had sticky tires and we didn't want to waste the, the sticky tires driving the 1500 miles each way for an ultimate adventure. So we actually have a set of, uh, had a set of ex militaries that actually have history. They were Pat Gramillion's old tires from one generation of his Bronco when he was running the, the Hummer wheels on his Bronco back in the Rat Pack days when, you know, they were, uh, those guys were the rock crawling gods. And uh, we ended up with a set of his tires and we, so we ran those for a road trip and towed a trailer with our, with our stickies on it for the ultimate adventure. So most of the time it's had forties. You know, when we took it to Mexico, we put 37s on it. Um, I think that's because that's what we, it was a sponsored trip and that's what, what tire they had. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, so it's had a little bit of variety, but it's built around forties. That's where it works well with. And that's generally what it has. Well, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful truck. I think one of my favorite features of the truck, uh, and I'm assuming this was a hand built thing and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the bed kind of storage system, um, that you have on the back of that truck seemed like it was super heavy duty lightweight yet really worked really well it didn't get in the way you weren't crunching because you've got kind of like this tube bed for it but yet it's not a full like you know it's still utilitarian it's almost it reminded me of some of the things you see in australia um tell me about that bed you got on that truck yeah so that's kind of a second generation thing um we built a similar trail bed on my dad's crew cab in, uh, uh, we took that on the UA in 06 was the first, uh, no, first one was 07. Um, we took that truck and you knew, you know, wheeling a crew cab, we knew we needed a, a tube bed of some sort. And so we kind of came up with that design and, and it's not like brand new. There's, you know, Toyota guys have been into that world for a long time and, you know, trail beds kind of all, they all kind of go the same direction because it's what works. And we, you know, so there's some design cues there that, that we, we put on of our own, but we, uh, we kind of took that experience and put it into this one. And one of my priorities was trying to keep it lightweight and, and keep everything usable. Just the things you listed off. We, you know, having lived out of that truck, you know, for a couple of years, we knew what, what some different ideas of what we wanted and ended up using, and this is one of the things that a lot of fabricators 
don't touch material thinner than eighth wall. And we actually bought some square tube for the bed floor that's all 14 gauge. You know, a lot of the, the material is lighter in places that it's not going to get hit. And it's worked out really well. Makes and, sense. you know, tried to, tried to dial back from some of the normal stuff because part of where I came from, my, my dad had, uh, he grew up on a refinery, um, was farmed for a while, worked in mines and, you know, big industrial stuff. Um, setting big generators and turbines and hydroelectric plants and everything tends to get really heavy and <laughs> going through the refineries and all the mining stuff that he had done and, you know, working on hydroelectric plants that, you know, you're used to a bunch of heavier material and, and he's a partner in the business and it's been a journey for us to step away from that. We've, uh, you know, I, I ran a, a circle track car in high school and first couple of years of college. And, you know, we, we learned a lot on that, you know, just to step back into looking at lightweight things. And we uh, have tried to apply that into our trucks as making things durable, but still not ridiculously heavy. And, and that beds a place where we, we applied some of that, you know, keeping a utilitarian and, and durable, but not, <laughs> not overweight. So we, uh, one of the things, and we're still improving on it. You know, the first year we took it, it didn't have the, the bin boxes in front of the tires under the bed deck. And, you know, we were storing everything on top of the bed. And so we, we put those in to fit the action packers that have most of the spare parts. And then, uh, you know, we've added tie down points and, you know, figured out better ways to organize our gear every time we use it. The next big thing is going to be getting the darn fuel tank out of it because <laughs> it, uh, we're pretty big fans of using a factory fuel tank. And in this case, it's a, a 40 gallon suburban fuel tank that the only, the easy place to fit it is that it's right behind the cab in the front of the bed and the batteries are right beside it. You know, so the whole package is, is tidy and it's got a deck over it that lets us stack gear on top and it, it packages in nice, but it's still a, a big chunk of bed space that we don't get to use. So we're looking at trying to get a, a fuel tank under the bed behind the axle so that we open that up and, you know, and free up a little bit more space. But the, uh, well, and that's another detail just to dive a little bit deeper on that one. Uh, Keith, you probably remember on the UA trip dealing with gas stops and oh yeah, we did really good on this trip. Well, yeah, but there's still 26 rigs getting gas. <laughs> yeah, and that was, I think we, uh, I don't remember exactly which stop it was, but I remember I walked up, and you and I had only talked briefly. We were a couple days into the trip, and you, we ended up uh, talking kind of uh, extended there. I walked up, and I said, all right, man, you're running a 454, and uh, are you just running on fumes? And you're like, oh, I got this big tank in here. And, you know, <laughs> I, I think you, uh, what did you say you were getting for miles a gallon on that thing? Eight, nine miles a gallon, something like that? Oh. On the road, it's. Uh, I think our composite for the trip was around nine. Hmm. Um, on the road, we run ten ish. You, you pretty much plan on ten. Sometimes you push eleven. Um, I think we've been on uh, on some legs that are that have more spirited driving involved. That we've been down to around nine. But you know, in general, you just move the decimal over and plan on ten. <laughs> that's okay. Im- that's so, impressive for that. Yeah, for for a truck that big, yeah, and, and, and he's that's being, a nice tire. That's that's awesome. You know, and also speaking of um, the fabrication of that custom bed that he did, as well as other components of the truck, he's being a little too humble. I tell you what, John, you really got to see. I just showed John while you were speaking there some pictures I had on my phone of your truck. That there, thing Steven. is awesome. And uh, um, the fabrication quality of this, I'm going to try to post some pictures online, or maybe Stephen can eventually in one of our social medias, but. Um, it's it's just top notch. This is not some guy who has a welder and some plate steel that's just making something. Uh, this is uh, it's it it looks like it darn near came from the factory, even though you know it's an off road rig. the The quality of the fabrication of the parts, whether they are off road design specific parts or custom parts specifically for this truck. It's just it's it's three steps above anything I could hope to be at this point in my life. So, um, 
Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, a very cool. Looks super well built. I like it. It's just a beautiful truck. Yeah. And then John, I don't think it was lost on you that his truck's an MV forty five hundred stick. No, no, I love that. That that makes me happy. Yeah, um, <laughs> I I told him I says you know ninety six and newer Chevys with the manual are not existent in Michigan. You just no. don't see them um, as you've seen. And you know, so when I saw that he had a manual in this with a big block, it's yeah. like oh man, look at this truck. This is this is I, awesome. I love especially how you were saying you started with it and you just you used what you had. You know, you started essentially stock. And just beefed it up, you know, and went from there. I love that the whole concept. In yeah, that. and that, that's where we got lucky is finding kind of that utilitarian truck. Yeah. And, and just, and we kind of, I mean, we kind of stumbled into it. We, we kind of knew what we were looking for and, you know, it, it happened to pop up. And the one that I kicked myself on is that same guy a couple of years later had the same 99 GMC same Vortec 454, 4500, but it was a crew cab. Mm. And I, he wanted a bunch more money for it, and it was worth a bunch more than, than what we paid for that single cab. And it just wasn't the right time and everything else. But it's like, man, you don't find that. Yeah. It would have been cool if even if I just bought it and stored it, it would have been worth having. <laughs> exactly. So, but it is... You know, it's a cool starting point, and the the manual tranny is. Uh, everybody debates back and forth about it, but I can tell you when you're in the middle of nowhere in Canada, and you know, backcountry in Alaska, it's kind of comforting thinking that I really don't care if water gets in there because it's <laughs> going to keep working. Yeah, you know, or you know, we can have massive electrical failures, and if we can make the engine run, the thing will move. Yeah. Um, and there's ways that you can rig. We've we've looked at you know what what solenoids do you have to fire on a 4L80 to make it go into what gear? You know, <laughs> there's ways to make all that stuff work, but you know, there's still something about it's simple. You know that if you can put it in gear, and I, I don't care if I have to weld the clutch plate to the flywheel, we can make <laughs> the thing go. You know? <laughs> See, this is that why... would be an interesting trail repair. <laughs> this is why I knew you and John would get along because... You know, when, when I found out you were a manual trans guy, and both John and I are hardcore manual trans guys, all my off-road rigs have always had manual transes in them. Um, Everything I currently I, own has a manual. I, I've I've done six or seven auto-to-manual conversions over the years. Uh, you know, that's just, that's how we are. And, and as we John and I spoke on the UA podcast that we did, um, you know, all of the trans problems we had on this trip, and correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, but... I don't think there was any manual trans problems on this trip, were there? <laughs> no, nobody overheated their manual tranny. Exactly. Yep. But how, how many automatics <laughs> overheated? We had four or five of them, didn't we? Yeah. So Well, it, well they built them wrong. Well, <laughs> we, we may have had Ian doing it four or five times. <laughs> well, there was Ian doing it. <laughs> Poor Ian. <laughs> but, yeah, he, he had a rough go with that one. But, uh, yeah, that, that, and that's the thing, the... Really, the only thing I've seen go wrong with a manual tranny system for off-road use is that they're harder to drive in really technical terrain. You know, and there's no no doubt about that. There's a reason why guys, you know, when we raced King of the Hammers, we raced with an auto tranny. In our serious rock crawlers, we have autos. You know, and they're full manual control autos, but they, you know, they shift fast. You know, you're only driving with two feet. You've got that torque converter cushion yeah, there's a lot of cool features there, but in a general purpose camping, exploring all around truck, it's it is comforting because that you know that manual is going to work. And the only thing I've seen go wrong with them is uh, you know it's probably something you guys see way more than we do. But if you push in the clutch in the mud in the you know in deep soupy mud that's going to get in your bell housing, and you get that mud up in in your clutch, you're dead in the water. Oof. You know, but I never thought of that. The fix is, yeah, I've, and I've seen that once. It was at, uh, a guy did it at Top Truck Challenge. And the cool thing about it, though, the fix is you, I mean, you got to winch it out, get it out somehow, and then you wash it, and it's fixed. It's that tough. Exactly. I like it. Exactly. water in there, <laughs> and it's fixed. <laughs> so you do that with an automatic. So, well, <laughs> as, right. as a bit of a side note here, and it kind of segues into maybe the next portion here a little bit as well. Um, 
Yes, I've dealt with that myself. I had a one of my all of my early wheeling rigs when I first started wheeling in the late '90s, early 2000s were um, the Chevy S series trucks, the S10s, the Blazers, things like that. I did get one packed with mud up in the Upper Peninsula on Mount Arvon years ago, and we had to tow it out. And that one, unfortunately, didn't have any way of accessing it, so we did have to pull the trans out, and we just did a clutch while we were there. Um, so, yes, I've dealt with what you're talking about. That is my only trail manual trans failure in 20-plus years of wheeling. So, to me, that's a win. Um but something I need to mention, and I kind of need to go sideways here a little bit, uh, kind of taking the storyline a little bit sideways. And I did, I think I spoke to you briefly about this. What Stephen didn't know until him and I met in person on UA is I had spoken to him <laughs> years and years ago. I want to say it was like 15 plus years ago on the phone. Mm. I called you up, and I don't remember if you remember this conversation from UA, but I had called you up. Um, and maybe I didn't fully explain myself in UA either, but I called you up, um, to buy some parts cause I was doing a solid axle swap on a, uh, Chevy, uh, well actually a GMC, uh, Jimmy. And, um, if I remember correctly and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you don't offer a solid axle swap kit for the S series trucks. No, nope. All, all big stuff, all big stuff. Exactly. But when I called you up, um, you spoke to me on the phone and I told you what I was trying to do. And I was at the time, I was like this 25, well, 23, 24 year old broke kid that was putting a Dana 60 under a um, S10. And I was running into all sorts of little problems with like my steering and different things. And you sold me a couple of products and you gave me this we ended up talking on the phone, if I remember now. Of course, we're talking probably, like I said, 15, maybe even 20 years ago. My memory's probably bad on that. But you you talked to me on the phone for quite some lengthy time, longer than a typical business owner would, and said, hey, here's some tips that you can do to solid axle swap that thing. Try this, do this and this, and here's some steering stuff that'll work for you. And you led me down the right road to have to do my first successful solid axle swap. Now I've done several since then, of course, but um, I've forever been eternally grateful for your knowledge there. And as a business owner, and I've been a business owner myself before. So taking that kind of time out of your day to talk to some wild haired kid that doesn't really, you know, know Jack from anything at the time and try to steer him in the right way as an enthusiast, uh, I've always been grateful for that. I mean, and I knew talking to you way back then for just a few minutes on the phone that you were a, a hardcore enthusiast. And I, once again, I want to thank you for that because that was really cool for you to do that all those years ago because you could have dismissed me so easily and said, you know, all right, well, I can sell you this and this and have a good day. But no, you gave me a bunch of technical advice and gave me some ideas. I think I could be wrong. I think you were the one that told me about using 52-inch rear Chevy springs for the front and a couple of things like that. And you had given me all this great knowledge, and and it put me down the road to be able to be successful in that build that I was doing, and I, I that was really cool, of you man. Well, and that's I found all kinds of seeds that we've planted that have grown up into these awesome trees lately, you know, stories like that. And I, w when you do this, it is easy to just talk about this stuff. You know, it's they talk, you know, they say if you enjoy your work, you never go to work. And I can tell you there's times that what we do is really is work because I, I have this theory that if you get paid for it, you're going to have to work. But, well, yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, we're still, let's face it, I, I could have a real job. You know, I go to work, I talk about four-wheeling, we build cool truck parts, we figure out how to make cool truck parts better. You know, lately we figure out where we can try to find some pieces to build some of our truck parts, you know, that kind of stuff. But it uh, that's something we... We know that every every person is just a person. You know, they want to go four wheeling, and they got to figure stuff out too. And yeah, you know, and this is the kind of thing you don't you can't be an ass to somebody and not expect it to come back at you. You know, that's that doesn't work. You know, I I have people and I have businesses that I won't associate with now because of of things that they did and. You know, it, you don't want to play that game. 
you know, pay it forward and help people out. And, and this is what you get. We, uh, I ran into a kid, a kid, you know, dude's got to be 35, but, uh, you know, he was down in Moab this last weekend and he chased me down in the campground I was staying in and said, Hey, I, you know, I don't know if you remember, but I stopped by your shop years ago when you're at the old shop up on the hill, which was 20 years ago, 15, 15 years ago plus. And, you know, I had to borrow a wrench cause I broke my Jeep up on the hill behind your shop. And, you know, you guys showed me around and I saw your machines and I came back and watched some of the stuff run and, you know, did some work with this other guy at this other machine shop. And, you know, that really set me on the path. I ended up going to engineering school and got an ME and then did these trade schools and, you know, and I'm restoring cars now and, you know, all that stuff was really cool and, and really helped me out. I'm like, holy cow, I'm, I'm that guy now. You know, I, I still think I'm on the other side of that sometimes. And then somebody alerts me to the fact that it's not always that way. But, uh, you know, and I had some, some really cool people that helped me out. And, you know, a couple of them that are still in the industry. You know, I mentioned Pat Gramillion before. Uh, growing up here in Carbondale, he, he moved here in the early 90s and, you know, was an icon in the four-wheel drive industry. You know, it was maybe a little before your guy's time in the magazine, but, man, he was I've heard the name. all over magazines. Yeah, Premier Power Welder and Pull Pal hmm. was their deal. And yes. he was semi-retired when he started those businesses and traveled all over the country four-wheeling, had multiple cover shots on, you know, multiple titles and, and lived in Carbondale. And huh. when I started four wheeling more, you know, hanging out on the trails with him and, you know, he, he kind of gave me some pointers and, you know, we ended up on some cool trail rides with some cool industry people and, you know, kind of helped push me along there. And then a, another guy that had a local four wheel drive shop a guy named Chris Overacker um, started mountain off-road enterprises which is still going under, uh, I think the third owner now, you know, that, that business is, has had three different guys, all, all good guys run it. You know, it's been a great business the whole time. And he, he started it and was building uh, shackle reversal kits for Jeeps and, you know, doing all kinds of cool stuff when YJs were, were the thing. (laughs) And, you know, he, he actually hired me to, to weld up brackets for him when he needed it early on and kind of put me under his wing, invited me to uh, to a, a photo shoot that he was doing with a couple of with a magazine guy down in Grand Junction on one of Chris's products, and I ended up hitting it off with Ed Fortson at Peterson's Four Wheel and Off Road, and that really helped launch my business. And so the, I guess I've got some really good examples of people that helped me. And I don't mind paying it forward. And as you can probably tell, I can talk about some of this stuff for a long time. And it's it's really something I do have to be careful of on the phone, especially the lately. Cause it, I, it's so I, appreciated, I, though. I, you know, well, not I, only being on the podcast, I mean, you're being genuine here. And we're just fascinated listening to you. Absolutely. But, but yes. at the same point, like I said, um, and actually, you know, my memory was jogged even. You had actually talked to me twice on the phone because the first time I had called you up, and I had said, because I had a local, when you mentioned you had businesses you don't deal with anymore, there was a local business here. Uh, they're actually still in business, but they were, they were an off-road shop. And like I said, I was this young kid, and I went in and I said, I want to do this solid axle swap on this S10 that I own, or this Jimia that I own. And they essentially laughed me out the door, and they told me that there was no way I could do that. Um, you know, I just needed to buy some lift kit out of a catalog that they had there. And I said, no, I don't want the IFS. Um, I said, you know, I want, uh, you know, I said, I already have this Dana 60, 79 Ford Dana 60 axle. I want to put it in the front of it. I said, I can weld, I can fabricate. I said, but I'm still learning. Um, and they, they basically told me, you know, uh, you're, it'll just be a project that's going to go to the junkyard. You're going to cut out the IFS and you'll never finish it. And that's basically what they told me this local off-road shop. Well, that's why I started kind of early days of the internet and I called you up. Um, and I don't know why somebody had said something about some solid swaps or something. And, and I called you and you said you didn't have one for the S 10, but then you gave me a bunch of ideas. And then when I got the axle slung under it with some 52 inch springs and all this and that, 
I ran into some issues where my steering wasn't my geometry wasn't quite correct and I called you back up and that's when I ended up giving you a credit card because it wasn't even that first call that first call you got no sale out of me but that second call you got you know not big money but maybe a couple hundred dollars in parts and I said okay cool I need this and this and this and then I also needed um, some some axle parts for the Dana 60 that I was rebuilding and, and I believe you sold me those if I remember correctly um, and you know so I got all these parts that I needed from you um, specifically because you had helped me the first time. And then, like I said, this put me down the trail. That was my first serious wheeling rig. Uh, prior to that, I was wheeling just, you know, $40 junkyard junkers. And then I got into this, you know, solid axle Jimmy with an MV4500 swap. And it just went downhill from there. And now I'm into Land Cruisers and Samurais <laughs> and all sorts of other things. And now John and I founded an off-road museum, for God's sake. I mean. <laughs> just you know if it, yeah. it, it, it so we actually have you to thank a little bit for this because i kind of introduced john to the off-road world a little oh, bit the whole thing <laughs> and so if i could I, drive a stick before that though <laughs> if i would have if i would have put my tail between my legs when that off-road shop laughed me out of the door and i went out and i just would have done nothing and if i would have called you and maybe a couple other people and nobody wanted to help me with that and i would have just lost faith in the idea of being able to build a You'd solid probably be driving a prius right now yeah who knows man but <laughs> talking to this guy yeah. on the phone who was like no man you can totally do this and here's some ideas and i was able to build that jimmy and here we are now years later we've done a ua together you know we finally met each other in person and now we're talking to him on the podcast which was created as i told him before for the museum of off-road adventure yeah. this whole thing i mean your your influence the butterfly effect in the off-road world is huge it really is sir you know I, yeah well and that's something i've seen come back in in multiple ways and and the thing we try to keep in mind is you know sooner or later we're going to end up on the trail with with a lot of the people that we deal with and that's the way that we like to look at it is you know if, when we end up on the trail and <laughs> when it starts getting dark and it's time to uh, start heading back and you know we're recovering rigs and you know this is not a person you want pissed off at you, you know? no no, <laughs> no not for sure no. so you, uh, you know so you take care of that and you know and help people out it's uh so, so I, I, I think some of it's a product of the environment you know it's these rigs, we started four-wheeling to, to get into the outdoors is where a lot of it went, and it, it separated into a bit of sport use from there, especially lately. Um, you know, there's a lot of sport use, but, you know, the, the base of this is outdoors people using vehicles as transportation to get into the outdoors. And, you know, you're not going to survive long in the outdoors by yourself. Generally, uh, contrary no. to what anybody thinks, when uh, <laughs> when you're up to you know uh, up to the private parts in uh, snowbank and need some help getting out, you know you and your shovel are going to be pretty happy to see somebody else. Yeah, someone yeah, that hates cold weather. Yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, and that's real. It you is. Know? So I, I like cold I, I weather and snow, but everything that, else that doesn't sound good. <laughs> well, all right, all right. So um, you know, Steve, I I gotta say here. Uh, our listeners have been listening um, for a while. Us talking about talking about the Z seventy one Chevy, and we did kind of promise them episode seventy one we were going to do this. Let me ask you this: oh, yeah. circling back to the old Z seventy one. So why? Okay, I'm just going to kind of just I'm going to just throw it in your in your uh, your game. You know, your side of the court ball for a minute court. here. Your ball court. Yeah, that's the right word for it. <laughs> Why did you not start? And I know the answer here, but I want to hear it out your words because I like the way you describe things. Why did you not start with a Z71 to build your UA rig or other Chevy trucks that you would build? Uh, I guess because the sticker doesn't really do a lot for you. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not the. I mean, we're, I think we're all on the same page here. We that's are a, a pretty lightweight package. And I remember, geez, I, you guys are going to come up with some of the, the facts a little bit better on this when it came out, but I don't remember ever being impressed. And I've talked about this before. I know when 
the TJ came out, and I'm not a Jeep guy, but that was a game changer in the off-road world. <laughs> John's over there going, yes. The Rubicon package, yes. <laughs> I know when the Rubicon package came out because that was a game changer in the off-road world. You know, those are things, you know, those packages, you know, that's stuff that was significant. And, you know, the Z71 package, I... You know, I know it started popping up in the mid-90s, but it was a sticker and some shocks. You know, is what I remember it being. It's, it really hasn't, uh, it hasn't gone anywhere for GM, but that we've seen in the, at least in the more hardcore off-road world. And, you know, it's, it's definitely not going to be any sort of a, a branch off into a Raptor fighter at all. <laughs> so, well, that's, yeah. When, that... when did they come out with that? Well, here, here's what, here's what we've found out so far. So, um, you know, my research and John's research, I guess let's start. John, what do you, what did you have from your research on the Z71? Not much. You got nothing, huh? <laughs> trying, trying to look it up. There, there's not a lot of specific results. It, it links you back to pages on how to build your Z71. There's, it's really difficult to find anything at all. This is a mystery that we had uncovered a while ago, um, mainly because my boy had been given a 2008 Z71 that had been totaled uh, by my brother, and uh, we rebuilt it with some junkyard parts, and that's his daily driver now. And, uh, you know, when I was in high school, the Z71 package was popular, and I had a couple friends that that's what they wanted. That was their dream truck. They wanted like a black Z71. And, and But I never really fully understood what the difference was in a Z71 versus a regular truck. So I decided as an automotive historian and someone who, you know, I'm the executive director of an off-road museum, I found it strange that I didn't know the history of the Z71. So I just started to dig into it. And I opened up, in my mind, an automotive mystery because there doesn't seem to be a lot of information out there about it. Uh, I even got to the point where I called the GM Tech Center and got a hold of their historical department and spoke to a lady over there and said, okay, we know that Z71 started as an RPO code, regular production option code, um, and there's evidence that it was used all the way back in 1985 in a square body Chevy, but that vehicle, the only thing about that vehicle is it had the GovLock rear differential, which is typically RPO code G80. So there, you know, the Z71 didn't mean anything else on that truck. In 1992, the Z71 was sticker package, and that's all it was, was started to be offered to the dealerships to factor or to install the dealership. And then it became a factory thing in 1994. Um, that's all I know at this point. And John doesn't have anything else either on it. Um, and I was hoping that speaking to you, Mr. Square Body Chevy guy, <laughs> that you could tell me what the heck Z71 meant in the square bodies, at least in 1985. Um, so what do you know about the Z71, Stephen? <laughs> at least the start. Now I know a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I'm kind of a, of the same thing, just like you're saying it. Uh, you hear people refer to it, you know, they, in the same way that guys drive, you know, I'm sitting in a Duramax truck, you know, my dad drives a power stroke truck. I got, you know, a buddy with a Cummins truck. You, you would, you know, you come up with these badges for the truck. That's not really, you know, anything related to the model. And, and same thing you hear people call, you know, I drive a Z 71 and that's pretty easy because a lot of times it says Z71 with a big <laughs> red sticker on the side of it. But, you know, beyond that, like I say, I, years ago, I blew that off and I've kind of checked in with the, with it over the years to see if it's really gone anywhere. And, and it really hasn't, you know, I, it's generally a, maybe an extra skid plate and a set of slightly upgraded shocks. Um, and that seems to be about it. And and in our world, that I guess I can see some uses for you know a nicer shock is always nice. You know if you're actually traveling in the backcountry, uh, you know a more durable shock is going to be a better thing. But uh, it's never been something that gives you a selectable locker. 
You know, it's not the, the TRD package in the Toyota. We know what that is. And, yes. you know, you get a selectable locker. That's part of the deal. The Rubicon uh, and the Jeep. Yeah. You know, these are these are things that give you tangible things that will help you get farther down the trail. And, and it doesn't feel like the Z71 ever got that. Maybe the, maybe the AT4, I think, now is, uh, is maybe a slightly stepped-up equivalent. And I'm I'm kind of anxious to see now that the the Ram TRX is out if if GM will actually come up with something that will try to compete with the Raptor and the TRX on any level, or if they think that their uh, their ZR2 Colorado is is that truck. But you know, like I say, they they just don't have an off road package that that really makes people say, "Wow, that's what I want." You know, there's. I, I see Jeep Rubicons driving up and down the road all the time, and I guarantee half those people don't know what a locker does. But well, they got the package. So maybe they just thought that Z71 sounded cooler than instead of putting G80 on the side of the truck. <laughs> it could Possible. be. You know, in those earlier trucks, maybe it, that was it. I, you know, I've, I don't know anything about that RPO showing up any earlier than in the those 88 up trucks yeah that's where i remember seeing it and you know and part of it is i you know i i was born in 73 and i'd started driving my blazer you know my parents bought a 74 blazer when we moved to colorado in 77 and had that for a couple of years and then ended up with the the 82 that i still have in 83 and and i started driving it in 89 so, you know, I, other than looking back at all of the trucks that we've cycled through over the years, I don't remember seeing a, a Z71 code in any of them. And, and obviously it never made a splash because it's, it's not a thing anybody knows about. <laughs> you know, you're, you're right. And that's basically what we came down to. So, you know, our listeners here, if you were hoping to find a Z71 heavy episode, this is not it yet. <laughs> Hopefully someday we can figure it out, but um, we found that Z71 has meant different things throughout the years. Like uh, Stephen said, it, it's been a skid plate, shocks, um, stickers, and uh, you know. And the other thing is, is I even thought that it always meant you got the G80 GovLock rear uh, locking differential, and apparently that's not the case. There are Z71s that do not have G80 rear ends. So, um, th- oh, I wow. think it seems like if they're was going to be anything off-roady that's the first place to go (laughs) exactly even though it's not a great locker it's you know it's something but hey man those stickers add so much extra torque and horsepower oh yeah there you go (laughs) so so i guess we're gonna have to shelf this one we're gonna have to at least that's what i think john until we can get more research and definitively get someone to say because that's where i want to maybe that's where i want to start is when did rpo code z71 come out and what did it mean yeah like what did it mean it you know is it earlier than 85 the only one I've ever found, like I said, there was an 85 square body where it was, I had a picture of inside of a glove box. It, it had the RPO code, and the owner of that truck had no idea why it said <laughs> Z71. There was no extra tow hooks. There was no skid plates, nothing that we could figure out. Yeah. So, um, you know, I guess the Z71 out there, if there's somebody out there in the off-road world that says, man, I know everything there is to be about Z71 and how it changed over the years, get a hold of us. We'd love to talk to you. For sure. But speaking of talking to people here, um, one thing we have failed to do in this episode, uh, John, and I know you're looking at me all confused here, Yes. is Stephen Watson and I, we've been talking trucks, and, and you know he's been talking all this great stuff, but he really hasn't been pushing his own products or anything like that. But... I'm thinking of something right here, you know, off the top of my head. Uh, we had talked before about doing episode 73 as our square body Chevy episode because yes. um, the, that's the year the square body Chevy came out uh, on our play on numbers thing that we do. I think, you know, Mr. Watson, if you are interested, we would love to have you back um, in two episodes to talk about more about off-road design and what you do there, not only for the square bodies, but for all of your product lines. We want to hear more about what off-road design does. We we need to, we need more time with you to talk about your product line, the history of off-road design, and a little bit about the square body Chevys. Would you be game for something like that? Yeah, that's, uh, as I 
maybe mentioned there before the the thing that got me started was a couple of squares so i'm i'm down with that sweet let's totally do that we need to do that um and you know so listeners out there if you want to hear more about off-road design and we need to talk about his doublers and his transfer case options and all the other stuff that he does as well so uh, you need to tune back in, in two weeks to listen to episode 73 because we're going to get him back on here because this guy, I'm having fun talking to Steve. Oh, yeah, for so, sure. I'm looking forward to it already. <laughs> so let's do that. Um, John, before we let him go here on episode 71, is there any other final questions you have for him until we talk to him again? No, I'll try and get a couple together for the next one. How about that? <laughs> All right, we can do that. Are you gonna let me do my thing? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yes, oh, come on, he, man. he's do his thing. John normally oh, signs us out. I don't here, even so know if ahead. I want to do it now. All right. All right. Oh, don't, <laughs> oh, come on. Stick <laughs> John. John. All right. So Stephen, it's been great talking to you. We're gonna talk to you again here on episode 73. And John, where uh, you know, uh, actually, before we do that, before we let Stephen go. Um, because John's going to tell people where they can find us on social media and where they can uh, find out about the Museum of Off-Road Adventure. But more importantly, uh, off-road design, uh, Stephen, please tell us what are the best ways to get a hold of you for all of your products and to check out what you do. Yes, it's pretty easy. Uh, website is offroaddesign.com, and socials, it's at offroaddesign, uh, Facebook and on the gram. Um, we got messaging there. Um, you know, you can, we've got contact us email off the website. Our phone number is pretty easy. It's 970, which is Western Colorado, uh, 945-7777. There's of course a story behind how I got that phone number, but, uh, (laughs) anyway, those are, those are the ways and pretty much anything, uh, slightly older full-size truck related using a full-size hard off-road, we we either do it or we're going to figure it out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're going to talk to you again here very shortly. John, uh, why don't you let everybody know where else to find us? Sounds good. Well, first off, an official thank you to Mr. Stephen Watson of Offroad Design for joining us for today's episode. Also, a huge thank you to Mr. Andrew, our producer. Without him, absolutely none of this would be possible. And we wouldn't have to subject everybody to listening to us all the time. So they'd probably like that better. <laughs> that being said, if you want to know more about our uh, cause, not cause, what, what we do, uh, go on facebook.com slash groups slash wheel and, or, I'm sorry, 4 by 4 talk. Wow, I'm getting them all wrong today, aren't I? That's all right. <laughs> uh, or just search 4 by 4 talk on Facebook. You'll get access to actually interact with us and all the other listeners of the show. Uh, make sure to check us out, patreon.com slash radio. Access lowest $2 a month. You'll get to listen to the end of the trail, which is our bonus after show. A lot of extra content and all kinds of good stuff there. Uh, I think that's all I got. Museum of Off-Road Adventure on Facebook oh, yeah, and yeah. Instagram, but we're most active on Facebook, so yeah. check us out yeah. there. But So with that being said, thanks for listening, and have a good one, everybody.